Jesus, God himself knows what it feels like to be depressed. If that is true, um, he knows anxiety. He knows it. He says that there's nothing we go through that he hasn't gone through. Hey, everybody. On this week's episode of the Live Change Podcast, we're tackling the critical topic of mental illness. Now, here's your heads up. We get pretty vulnerable and real with this topic. We talk about misconceptions, parental stigmas, addictions, and even postpartum depression. It's real, but it's also filled with God's hope. And it starts right now. So, welcome back, guys. Um, Hey, hey. My name is Chad. I'm the host of the Live Change Podcast. I'm joined by my special guest, Jason. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I I jumped in on you. Yeah. I like that. I jumped in on you. You, My bad. You were like a starter on the block, and you were like, yeah. Anyway, um, Joanna uh, Wishard is my co-host on the Live Change Podcast. Pumped to be here. I'm so glad to have you back, Joanna. Um, so today we're going to talk about mental health and it's going to be a fun, uh, thoughtful topic. And I, it just brought me to a show I've been binge watching. I got to tell you guys about this show. I've been binge watching this show called alone. Have you guys Mm. seen this show yet? No. Is this the one where they drop people off in the middle of nowhere? Yes. And they have to survive the last one to basically not tap out. If you are listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube or something, you got to drop in the comments. If you're, if you're a big fan of alone, basically what alone is they yeah, they take a a guy or a gal. Mm -hmm. That's like a wilderness surviving kind of person. Not like me. I would die. No, these people are highly trained specialists. Yes. I would eat the wrong mushroom. I would, I would go to try to pet a bear and I would become food. But this is like trained people. They go, they drop them off in the middle of the wilderness and they have to survive as long as they can. If mm-hmm. they out survive, if they outlast and don't tap out the rest of the other 10 people or whatever, they win like $500,000. Yes, so I've these people this. are there for like months. And they're, they basically have three supplies when they're dropped yeah, like, off, right? Like a knife. They have nothing. Tarp. Yeah. And, you know, like, yeah, that's I, it. I don't know, like a cell phone to call, like if there's an emergency, like bear spray. I don't know. Right. But I've been binge watching this every night and I've, come to the belief that I could do it. <laughs> I, you can't. I think that's just a thing in the Herman household that if you guys watch enough of it, you think you can become it. And I just don't know if that's how that works. Why? This is not the first time I've heard y'all binge a show and you're like, I could do it. I could be on Survivor. I, I could uh, curl for the U.S. Olympics. <laughs> like, I feel like that. I could. Hey, no, that's possible. Uh, guys, it's I don't sweeping. know. Have, it's sweeping. Have you sweeping, seen really? the How curlers? How often do the two of you sweep in your homes? Uh, well, well, not often. Not, okay. not like the uh-huh. curling sweeping. Sure. How dare you? I, I happen to believe that I would be an amazing curler. I know you do. And I'm starting to grow to believe that I actually would do quite well on a loan. Um, but what, yeah, those what, are not the same thing, Chad. Well, oh, that's a shame. Uh, I think you'd be a great curler too. Cause I think anybody could do it, but I don't think you could survive on a loan. Uh, well, you know what? I, I hope there's a curler listening right now that writes you guys hate mail. No way. <laughs> if there's a curler listening right now, I want to meet you. <laughs> I have a thousand questions and I would, because as we I know, I would love to meet you from beekeeping. If Jason meets someone that's an expert at something, <laughs> He will he go out it. and do I may that. become it. Yeah. So like next Olympics is like, and uh, in this corner of the ice capade ring, Jason Mitchell. Oh, I can't. Um, what? That's what I've been binge watching. What are you guys binge watching? Hmm. Man, we're really. Oh, sh- oh, d- no. T- like tell me you two are sitcoms. like. 
Oh, okay, good. You do watch something. I thought yeah, you guys we, were going to be like, I don't know, we read the Bible, like good Christians. I was like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, we. Kevin and I have been binge watching Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that was a good one. I don't. Yeah. I think most of the cast is, or most of the cast still alive. I don't know. I think it's like a mixed bag. Oh. Which is sad. It is sad when you watch those old shows and you're like, this is great. The whole cast is dead. Yeah. And it's funny, like even watching it back, there have definitely been moments that I've had that I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe this is my family. And so that's uh, also yeah. like been fun. Wait, what do, you, what like, do you mean? Like, the, I don't know. Like you think about like the the grandparents and the then like the, the um, like Ray and Deborah, like trying to figure out how to parent. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, oh my gosh, this like actually yeah. seems like we've lived this. The relevant. best shows yeah, are like yeah, that. Yeah, it yeah, seems yeah. relevant. Yeah. Jason, uh, I'm guessing some sort of documentary on uh, like the Korean War or. Uh, yeah, I don't have one. I think that binge watched. I'm trying to think. I'm seriously trying to think right now. You, you're big on documentaries though. Like you. Yeah, I do love documentaries. Yeah, like yeah. you're like if you're if, looking at me like you're judging me for that. I well, no, no, I'm, I'm not ashamed. I I just think it's funny that a source of entertainment is like I should be learning something from this. That is a source. Of, yes, you're right. I don't feel productive. Um, what was the last movie that you watched then? Uh, Wakanda Forever. Ooh, was it good? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I thought it was good. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Okay. So here's the thing about uh the show I'm watching alone. Do you know that most people don't tap out because they didn't have enough food or anything like that? They tap out because of mental stuff. They mm. actually tap out yeah. because they become so lonely or they have like anxiety. Mm. And it, it's fascinating that they, they lose their emotional support and they literally tap out. It's, it's destructive. Yeah, they've, they've got all the other, you're saying, yeah. they've got the food, they got the nourishment, they got the water, they've got a, all that. And it's the they well, being alone yeah, with their own yeah. thoughts and the mental game and the the hurts that they they so that you you hear stories of their their like past trauma and stuff like that and now they're kind of processing it alone in a pretty unsafe place and all of a sudden it's like it's not really a great place to deal with past trauma is in the middle of the woods where a bear is like hunting you and and so they tap out and it's it's. I had no idea that it was going to be such a mental game. And I just think that that really applies to what we're talking about here today is because for a lot of people, mental illness is something that they deal with every single day. It's not something that they, that they come upon, but it's something that it's a part of their reality. Mm -hmm. It's a part of just life that they live. And I think for us as Christians, we deal with it just as much as everyone else. For those of us that love Jesus, I think there's this assumption that, you transcend mental illness mm. and uh, that's just not the case. And so like every single person that's listened to this podcast either has mental illness or knows someone or loves someone that has mental illness. So what we're going to do today is we're just going to talk about some of the common per perceptions of mental illness. We're going to address some of those and we're going to talk about what God's God's statements are about this. And, and we're hoping that everyone kind of walks away from this conversation, having a little more clarity, or at least, if nothing else, feels like they're not alone, mm -hmm. and feels like their their God isn't, you know, judging them for what they're feeling. So, uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. But first thing I got to ask is, it seems like mental illness has become an, a, I I'm gonna I'm gonna hate that I say this word, but like a hot topic. Mm. It seems like it's everywhere. It's in the it's in the news. It's in the 
for the first time, New Year's resolutions. It was one of the most uh, highest New Year's resolutions this year was uh, chasing mental wellness okay. for people. And it just seems like it's become very pervasive. But a lot of people, and not myself, but but some people, I should say, uh, are kind of thinking like it just must be something in the water. So my kind of question is: Is this a new thing? Is this is this something new, or do you think it's always been around the, these mental unwellness things? I don't know. They probably all. I would imagine. Well, I think we can probably assuredly say they've always been around. Mental health issues have always been a thing. Um, but there's probably more language to it now. There's obviously greater science, uh, you know, uh, advancements that we're able to, you know, know and diagnose certain things that even a hundred years ago we wouldn't have. But I don't think it's new. And here's why I don't think it's new. So like my great grandmother, I called her Mem. Mm. Uh, so she, her actual name was Mabel. Sweet old lady. She was like tiny. Um, this is how I describe tiny with my hands. Um, but I remember that before we would visit her, they would tell us, Hey, don't tell mem about this or don't tell mem about this because she'll worry. And they said, she's a worrier. What I have come to realize is my family is a multi-generationally affected family of, of severe anxiety. Mm. And what I've realized is my parents had undiagnosed anxiety and my grandparents definitely had mm -hmm. undiagnosed uh, anxiety. And what they called, she's a worrier, what they knew was, what they intrinsically knew was if she heard bad news, she would lose sleep and she would, she would have anxiety attacks about mm -hmm. it. And she, and, but they didn't have any verbiage. There was no anxiety back yep. then. Uh, so I, I do think you were right on, Jason, that some of it is just the, the, the learning of the new verbiage and 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 having some language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but out of curiosity, Jay's, I'm especially excited to hear you talk about this, is mental illness. A lot of people in, in some conservative religious circles talk about mental health as being a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. And... Um, they, they talk about the fact that, well, if you just had faith, mm -hmm. the depression, the anxiety, mm -hmm. Jesus uh, can take all of these things away. Cast, the, the, they always will often say, you know, cast your anxieties on him. And um, what, what do you say to that? Like, is, is there some truth to that? It, like, is mental health a, a lack of faith? Is mental health something that can be prayed away? Um you know what are what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would probably say, read the Bible, and you won't get very far before you find Hagar running into the wilderness because she's being bullied in Genesis, the book of Genesis, and basically she's suicidal. Mm. Well, she is suicidal. She goes to die. Um, you won't read very far before you get to Hannah. And it says that she's poor. I think the the phrase is in First Samuel, pouring her heart out to God is the phrase that's used because she can't have children. Um, she's depressed. Uh, you'll read Jeremiah, who says, I wish I was never born. You'll read about Job, who says, just take my life. You'll read about Paul. <laughs> Um, in 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, I despaired of life. Like I was in such a bad place, I just I didn't even want to live, is basically what that's saying, what he's saying. And you'll read about Jesus in the garden, who in one of the most uh, maybe real sort of moments of anxiety that you see in the scriptures, he's so anxious about what's about to happen to him. He's his capillaries physiologically are bursting mm-hmm. and he's sweating blood. And that was recorded by Luke, who was a physician. So he knew that that was possible. Look, my point is, these are men and women who are held up as heroes of the faith. These are our examples. And, and they're, they're ones who are literally suicidal at times. If So I, I don't know how you can hold... You've got to have a faith that's big enough to hold those two things together. Ooh, go on with that. Like, the, the, what's that mean? Big enough to hold hold that God is able to free us from those things. Yes, and yet we may live with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And that doesn't mean you don't have faith. I got to tell you that, like, um, that hits me personally because. Um, you know, it, I've been diagnosed with anxiety, generalized anxiety for a couple of years now. And, um, sorry, it's almost emotional because, um, there was a time where I just thought I'm not praying hard enough mm-hmm. or my faith is not great enough. And, and I've now realized <laughs> that there's been some significant healing in my life and therapy and medicine. And we'll talk about all that stuff. But, um, but in the end, I realized that anxiety is no longer the fifth member of my family, mm-hmm. but anxiety still lives in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't see him as much, but I do still see him. And there was a time where that would make me go, why is God not freeing me? But now I realize it's a journey and mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that he's not good. And yeah. Yeah. So that. And you've probably learned, or I'm guessing you've learned to live in that neighborhood with as much peace as you can that you've still got that neighbor yeah. without judging yourself too harshly that the neighbor hasn't moved out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like he's still there and yeah. I will still run into anxiety from time to time. But, but that alone is freedom, Chad. That's a freedom itself to where it's like, oh, he's just a neighbor. He doesn't run the house. Yes. Like he still has a place in the neighborhood. It's part of me. Yeah. But for may a, always be. For a while there, he was living on my couch. Yeah. I was like, I'm get sure. out. Yeah, You know, like, and it was changing my life. And that's what happens when mental illness is unchecked, uncared for, untreated, is it becomes not just a part of your life, it becomes your life. Mm. Feeding it, maintaining it, um, caring for it becomes your whole life when when you aren't doing it as as thoroughly as you can and could. So, um, so let's talk about medicine. Okay, so a lot, a lot of... Like, um, not a lot. That's that's unfair. But but some religious circles talk about medicine and treating, you know, mental illness with medicine as being, you know, not something that God wants. Um, and, and this is probably true for medicating a lot of different things because there's differing views on, you know, what, you know, what we should leave in the hands of God and what we should ultimately treat with, you know, earthly medicines. So what would you guys say about, you know, treating 
mental behaviors that are diagnosed, you know, professionally with, with medicines. Yeah. I just think we're, we're inconsistent many times, or at least people that I've heard make that argument that, well, if you had enough faith, maybe you wouldn't need the medicine or whatever it might be. I feel apply that inconsistently because most people aren't um, ashamed of taking ibuprofen for mm-hmm. a headache or whatever. And so I just always look at it as God has provided for us um, wisdom. That's part of what it means to be creating the image of God. He's given us a brain a, like to, to exercise wisdom. And part of wisdom is to use the available resources among us to be healthy and whole and healed. Um, so I would strongly encourage that if someone is suffering or, you know, is going through a, a seriously clinically, you know, diagnosable sort of mental health issue and your physician or your, you know, the, your support network is, is, is saying, Hey, I think this medication would help you to, to do that, to get to a baseline. And that's mm-hmm. what I always feel like. It doesn't yeah. mean it forever, mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just to get you to a baseline where you can, where your thoughts are a little bit more clear, where you, where you can begin to process things. It, won't, it doesn't have to be forever at all. It might just be to get you back to that place where you can have a little bit more clarity yeah. on, on how to address things. But it's also, I wouldn't say you have to either. I think that's between you and God. And, and I'm just saying you shouldn't say no because you think you have Definitely. less faith. I, I, God provides that. Um, I also want to say something real quick. I want to go back to something we were talking about a second ago. Yeah, please. You were talking about, well, can't God just, or you were asking that question sort of rhetorically, like, Oh, of course. Doesn't God just heal or can't God just heal? And I would say, he can, yes, he can. I know people who have prayed and God, I believe, has really freed them from some of the issues of anxiety or depression or whatever it might be. And they would feel like it's not even in the neighborhood anymore. But that doesn't happen all the time. And I've prayed for things in my life that haven't happened. I think, I think a lot of people have. By the way, again, go back to Jesus in the garden. He prayed three times that if there's any other way, I don't, I don't want this to happen. And it did. The third, very thing he prayed for ended up, uh, didn't want, ended up happening. Wow. Oh. So, so that's not a sign that. of a lack of faith either. And um, so, but I don't want to discount or I don't want to, in some ways, overstate the other side to go, uh, God can't, you should pray that God would transform your, I think you should. If we're taking mental health seriously, whether it's depression, anxiety, uh, the plethora of, of other ones that are out there, when you're taking it seriously, it, it takes a holistic, it, yeah. it, there is no magic bullet. There is no perfect mm-hmm. you know, weapon against anxiety or mental health. It, it's, it takes a lot of things. And it's just amazing to me. I mean, it really is sort of, it's just amazing. The time, the, the, the amount of scripture that is so, and it's because it's true, right? So, I mean, just, it just, again, it, 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 it speaks to the credibility and the truthfulness and big T truth, like truthfulness, transcendent truthfulness of the scriptures to where there's so many examples of where science is just, is, is catching up. Mm-hmm. So think about Philippians um, chapter four, where Paul says, uh, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. He's talking about mental health. He's talking about the issue of anxiety and worry. But in everything, um, thank God and ask him for what you need. And it's proven again today that gratitude and thankfulness uh, have a psychologically sort of cleansing effect, or I should say helpful effect on 
getting rid of fear and anxiety in your life and all that. Like that's a yeah. big, big deal. Like if you go to a counselor and you're talking about anxiety, one of the things they're going to talk to you about is what are you grateful for? And to begin to think about that kind of stuff, or, you know, if it's fear or whatever. And here's Paul talking about, and he's like, yeah, yeah. It's God, God knew that all along. Yeah. And so to point yourself in a divine direction and begin to focus on gratitude, that is one of the ways you begin to, to you begin to oh, I love not let it control you at least. Yeah. Because if you're not careful, um, the problem becomes your identity. Yeah, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of just as a part of you. Yeah. In, instead of being something to overcome or something to, you know, battle, it becomes who you are. Mm. And and that appreciation, that gratitude, it shows you and reminds you that, that you are not the sum total of your mental unwellness, but there is more. And yeah. there's more to life. And yeah, like, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, but there's some people that don't don't seek professional help or, you know, professional diagnosis and stuff. And they go, I'll just talk to my friends. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have a, you know, chat session. We'll pour a glass of Merlot and, you know, we're just going to deal with my mental illness, you know, on a Friday night, you know, talking. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Is that, is that a good uh, strategy for dealing with it? <laughs> yeah. So I don't think so. I, so I, I think, um, again, I think some of it is even just like the depth in which of like whatever you're experiencing. I think some of it is, um, I don't know, probably getting a little personal with yourself and like asking some just like hard questions to like get to, is this like affecting my daily life, like those kinds of things. Right. And so then like you get in a scenario where I'm just, you know, uh, sitting around with some girlfriends chatting, like that's not always where like, um, what's the right word? Like you, um, like the surface. Yeah. Like kind of like the surface or like, then you're in almost like this commiserating and then like, you're kind of like staying stuck and like no forward movement is happening because they probably don't truly know what to say. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Totally. Yep. I think that, I think that's kind of like an easy trap to fall into. Um, if that's the only place that you're doing that, like, or you know what I mean? So like, then if that is really the only like whether it's community or, or the conversations that you're having, that's like, that's the extent of it. Like you're probably not going to find a ton of like forward progress. And so I think like community, it's like gotta be bigger than that. That can absolutely be a piece of it. Yes. I think like you should have kind of people in your trusted inner circle, uh, where you're talking about these things, but I think too, it's bigger than that. So it's like, who's ahead of you in life? Like, who's gone through something that you've gone through um, versus just sitting in a circle with folks that are just, yeah, I don't know if commiserating is quite the right word, but just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, man, doesn't that stink? Like me too, but like nothing's happening as a result of the conversation. Uh, Okay. Uh, So out of curiosity with that, let's talk about the other side of, of mental illness that we often don't equate with mental illness. Professionals do and people that are in the know do, but uh, let's talk about uh, uh, painful addictions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, just like anxiety and depression, which often people will have a great deal of sympathy and empathy for. Um, I know some people, and this is, isn't us at the table here, but but some people have very little empathy for those with addictions, whether yeah. it be drugs or alcohol or, you know, anything like that. Uh, 
they assume that it is the sin of the person alone, and it is their choices, and there is no mental component to it. Um, and I know neither of you or myself are as a clinical you no. know, psychologist, so we can't speak to, to out of turn, but um, what are your thoughts about that? For, for us as Christians. Well, I think in general, Chad, you're hitting on something which is very true. It's, 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 um, it's hard to get empathy or sympathy for people who are struggling with, um, so at times with mental illness or, or, or mental health issues because it's the, you can't see it. It's yeah. invisible. And so it's way easier, uh, you know, DeMar Hamlin you know, he just had that cardiac arrest. He had cardiac arrest on the field. Everybody pours out sympathy yeah. to him. I doubt you would see the same kind of outpouring if one of the NFL players said, I'm I'm depressed and borderline suicidal. Because you can't see that. It's just yeah. way more it, it's well then just be happy, you know. So um I do think that there's I do think it's hard from an addiction standpoint. Now you add a behavior sort of aspect into it yeah. and, you know, whatever the addiction is. So picking up the bottle or the needle or taking the pill. Yeah. And, um, and from the outside looking in, that's extreme. And I've got, I've got friends who've walked through um, with their closest family members, addiction to heroin and, and, and opioids and, um, it's a complicated road to walk, really complicated, really, really complicated. Um, and it puts everyone through hell. And, and what is hard to remember sometimes is the person who's in it is in even greater hell, yeah. but it feels like they're the ones putting everybody else through it. Yeah. And that it's, it's just hard to get empathy sometimes. And I feel like some of that, even in that statement is also lack of proximity. So wow. like also when you haven't, when you don't know someone, when you're not in it, yeah. when you haven't yeah. stepped into someone else's story, it's just so much easier to detach. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, I think some of that too is just lack of proximity. And I mean, like you, th I think too, like even then in the new Testament where you see like Jesus stepped into proximity and walked those journeys, like very hands-on with people. Yeah, And so it wasn't a surprise to him or because he had proximity. And so yeah. sometimes I think like when it's statements like that, it's just also potentially a little too detached from being yeah. in proximity with folks that are walking through something like that. Uh, you know something? I don't think anyone that sees the, the pain and anguish of those that are going through addiction, and I'm not saying that addiction doesn't have components of sin, mm -hmm. but you see the pain and anguish in that family. And it's like, that's when you realize this is a lot more complicated yeah. than I thought. And sometimes actually probably many times addictions are birthed out of other, other mental illnesses that were being treated by self. Mm. So the self medication of, of opioids, the self medication of alcohol, this it, like, how many alcoholics have become alcoholics because they are treating another anxiety or depression or mental illness or trauma that they have that's undiagnosed or untreated. So they become an addict of something else just to get, feel normal. Well, it's funny you say that because I think we, <laughs> we cover a lot of things. We try to cover up a lot of things that are 
the work, if we were to, to do the work of getting in tune with our feelings, our emotions, right, and what we're really, what's really going on inside of our mind and our, and our heart, um, that's hard work because that makes you have to stop and think about the things you think about, or it makes you have to stop and challenge things. It's way easier. I read a book years ago by um, Terrence Real, and he talks about depression in men and how it displays itself very differently, tends to display itself or manifest itself differently than depression in women. And he's saying, he he, he talks about the difference between overt depression and covert depression. Overt is very obviously, as the name implies, um, outward. Um, Women tend to demonstrate depression more outwardly. So don't want to get out of bed in the morning, general sort of apathy, right? That covert is hidden and men tend to demonstrate depression through covert, so workaholism, oh. um, detachment, mm-hmm. uh, alcohol abuse, but they are still they're manifestations of depression. They're actually about the depression. Wow! You're, and you don't, but you don't know how to deal with that, the sadness, and so you work harder. Yeah. Or you numb out on something, whatever. Right. Oh, totally. But but that kind of goes back to your addiction. I'm, I'm more just saying like yeah. that. That made me think of that. Um, with the addiction, yeah, it's it, it does it. You understand how it's a, a it's a cyclical thing, you know. It, it's one thing starts and it can lead to another and to another. And sometimes that's when healthcare professionals are begging and pleading to get the word out. And this is probably why it's becoming more prevalent. Why we're hearing it in the news and seeing it on posters in school and stuff like that. It's not about this is the cool new fad. It's about the more treatment we can get earlier. Mm-hmm. We can stop life-altering, life-damaging, and life-ending consequences for untreated mental unwellness things. Yeah. So it's it's probably why it's out there a lot. Um, Jason, there there's a mom out there right now that is dealing with an addicted son or daughter, um, or there's a guy that is dealing with depression and he doesn't even, he, he, I mean, he doesn't even know where to begin. And they're praying. They're praying and they're praying and they're praying and nothing's happening. And, and what are you going to say to them? Like, because let's not give, the, you know, just cliche answers here, but like, what are you going to say to someone that's like, why is God ignoring me? Well... I would say it. Fe- I know it feels like God is ignoring you. I know that's how it feels. Um, that's not true. God is in this with you. God suffers. I mean, the 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 hope we have, the greatest hope we have when it comes to these most painful of issues, is that we believe in a God who entered into our pain and suffering in Jesus Christ and suffered with us. He's with us. That's really the, that's really the only assurance we get. It's not that, I mean, everything will be better. Like a day is coming and that day has already started in the resurrection. Like we're getting glimpses now, but it's coming in its fullness. But in the meantime, he promises to walk with us, to be with us, to weep with us. Wow. Um, and 
he is he has not abandoned you. That's all I I mean, that's really all you can say is he has not abandoned you. He never will forsake you. He never will abandon you. And we have to keep going. But I just I always have to go back to the garden with moments like that. That at the end of the day, this is a God revealed in Jesus Christ who weeps. He wept at the tomb in John eleven with Lazarus. He's a God of compassion and comfort because he, what does Hebrews say? There is, he's gone through and experienced everything we've experienced, which I take that to mean Jesus, God himself knows what it feels like to be depressed. If that is true, um, he knows anxiety. He knows it. It says that he's, there's nothing we go through that he hasn't gone through. So, uh, for we do not, what does he say, serve a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize with our weaknesses. That's what it says in Hebrews, I think, chapter 4. So, um, so he gets it. It's painful. It's hard. And then I would say, don't give up. Yeah. I don't know any other thing to say. Don't give up. And I, and I think that's part of, even you saying, I don't know what to say, I think is what some people want to hear mm-hmm. is... It's okay. There isn't an answer sometimes yeah. because God's ways, the Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways, and, and we don't get the whole vantage point. We don't get to see the whole painting. We don't know what's a broken world and what is uh, God-ordained. When we, we don't know any of that stuff. Uh, the reason I looked at my phone a second ago is I just read in my devotional something that would like was so exactly what you were saying. Is, um, it talked about revelations, and it talked about someday— Mm. You know, someday he will come and every eye will see him and everyone will recognize, even those that pierced his hands, like they will see. And there, it's something to look forward to, that the pain of today, although excruciating, yeah, is temporary. Healing is coming. At the end of the day, healing is coming. It's and I really hope for everyone that it's coming today, like actually, yes, totally. you know, like in care. But I always find it one of the most sort of tension filled passages in the New Testament to me or in the gospels is in Luke four, where Jesus has been healing person after they're lined up. Like they're lined up. Healing, 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 healing. And then it says he left because he goes, I must go on to other towns. Now he said that after a whole group had come to be healed because they saw that other group the day before be healed. So now it's the next morning and they're all there to be healed. And he walked away from them. That passage always yeah. creates tension because someone was the last one to be healed. And then there was a whole, there was others who didn't. Oh my now, gosh. I don't know why there's parts of my life that I still haven't experienced heal, internal healing from or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I do know that that doesn't call into question Jesus's goodness. Mm-hmm. I can't explain why. And I think you ought to be real careful about anybody who feels like they can easily explain why this or that. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's exactly what the disciples did. Remember when they saw that guy who was blind and they go, Jesus, who sinned? This guy who's blind or his parents? Because mm-hmm. someone must have sinned mm-hmm. to put him in this condition. And Jesus rebukes them. He's like, you guys are you guys are idiots. What do you mean who sinned? I think that's from the direct Hebrew. That's my translation. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the tone. He's like, what are you talking about? Who sinned? Oh, you think God works like karma? 
you do something bad and you get bad? He was like, no, God is grace. He, he goes, this man's blind so that the glory of God can be revealed. That's awesome. So in other words, God will do something in this man's blindness that he couldn't have done if the man were seeing. I don't know how it works. It's mysterious, yeah. but I do know you've all seen it. We've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen people who went through what we would have, I would feel like that would have broke me. That would have absolutely broke me. I've yeah. seen people who lost a child. We, we know people who've struggled through addiction, like the worst of the worst kinds of things, right? Yeah. And their faith didn't crumble. In fact, it got stronger. So why? Because God, there was a glory that God was doing in their life in the middle of it that couldn't have been done and, or maybe wouldn't have been done any other way. Wow. Yeah. That's, it's, that's, it's good. Um, Okay. So let's just talk about a character for a second. There is a character of those that struggle with mental illness. Now it's getting less and less because it's becoming more normal. And those of us, I love what Jason said, you know, are being less covert about our mental illness and, you know, shouting it from the rafters, but there is still a bit of a character of those, those kind of people that struggle with mental illness. But Joanna, I, I, I wrote this down, you know, it's it, like, you know, there is a woman out there listening to our voice right now that says, I have a healthy baby, a young mom, healthy baby, and a husband that loves me, but I am sad and I see only the dark side of life. Like a mom that's maybe going through this thing called postpartum depression, which mm-hmm. I don't even begin to appreciate or understand what that must feel like, where everything in life is feel it's supposed to be right. This is supposed to be the happiest moment of my life, and it's slipping by me because I'm so sad. Yeah. And that mom is listening to us being like, why did God take my joy? Like, wh- and I, I know that, again, you're not a therapist here, but, mm-hmm. but as a woman who has two beautiful children, what, what do you say to that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think part of it. So, yeah. So you're right. I do have two kids, um, but my husband and I have actually been pregnant four times. And so journey to motherhood, just in whatever way that looks for you, um, it's a journey and everyone's journey looks different. Um, And so, yeah, I just um, have a heart for moms who feel isolated And I think that's where, um, whether it's postpartum depression or, uh, I mean, I remember a season even where uh, it was like, hey, maybe you just have like the baby blues or, you know, you're just a little sad right now and it's normal. And, and I think like, while yes, like it is normal, your body goes through crazy stuff on that journey. Um, I mean, I, I mean, my oldest is seven. I very vividly remember sitting at the dinner table Uh, We had just had a friend drop off a meal. I mean, it was a great meal, like kind of side perk to having community and um, (laughs) do it for the casserole, people. If you don't want community for any other reason, do it for the casserole. And I mean, I was sitting at the table with Kevin. Uh, You know, the baby was in the bassinet next to the table because, you know, it's the first one. You never let them out of your sight. Yeah. And I just sobbed. Oh. And it was like. And in hindsight, I mean, that was seven years ago. In hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, I probably looked like a crazy person. Um, <laughs> oh no. But just sobbed. Wow. And 
I just, it was like, oh my goodness, Kevin, this is our life now. Like crying babies, being exhausted. Like remember three weeks ago when he wasn't here, like that seemed really nice. Like I, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Um, and I just remember in that moment, Kevin looked at me and was just like, it's going to be okay. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to clear our head. We're going to get some fresh air. We're going to come back in. We're going to start dinner over. Mm. And so I think part of it is again, like, I don't know. You guys will hear me say this a million times. Like we weren't meant to do it alone. You weren't meant to become parents by yourself. Mm. Like there's a reason like, you know, the catchy, like takes a village to, to raise a kid. Like that, that is like proven. (laughs) And so I think, um, that's really hard. I personally have never gone through an actual diagnosis of postpartum. Um, but I think that, that it's a very real thing. It's really hard to do that alone. And so I think like starting the conversation, um, yeah, just with someone you trust, whether that's even your own um, physician or your spouse or, Um, I don't know, even in that moment, like Kevin didn't really know what to do. He just knew to show up. And so I think, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Our first was crazy colicky. Basically anytime he was awake, he cried. Like they tell you, oh my gosh, your maternity leave is supposed to be amazing. (laughs) And like, sure. We had those really sweet, cute, cuddly moments, but it was a lot of crying. (laughs) Um, And so I knew that I had someone on speed dial when I just couldn't do it anymore. It was like, I need so I need you to tap me out. Wow. And so, I, yeah, I think, I think it's just not doing wow. it alone. So you actually had someone that was like, when, when you have become overwhelmed and so you didn't have any facade, it was kind of like when I become so overwhelmed, when it becomes emotionally too much, I'm, I'm, I'm phoning a friend that, yeah. That's vulnerability because that that does not match with the Instagram picture. Yeah, of the the mom in in the white dress with the cool hat in the field with the lilies and the you know baby in the you know arms. Yeah, like that that what you just said there does not match that Instagram picture at all. I just watched um, this movie last night with Solomon, and it's so, it was so good. Uh, called Have you guys heard of this? The uh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. Good heavens, mm-hmm. no. Okay, that? it's a little animated film oh, on Apple okay. Plus, and um, and it's really whoever wrote it um, is brilliant in the way that they help give voice to emotions, and it's really written for kids. But I was sitting there; it was very meaningful to me. Well, one time there's this one moment where the boy's riding the horse, and the boy he's looking for home, and these these animals are kind of guiding him there. And he says to the horse, what's the bravest thing you ever said? And the horse thinks for a second and he goes, help. (sighs) Mm. That's what you're getting at. Yeah. Do, you know, I feel like, Joanna, what you're you're saying, which I think has almost kind of come up several times now is so much of this is being courageous and, and that does take courage to be vulnerable. And I read something recently that said, from the moment someone feels signs or symptoms or whatever it might be, or like even just wondering, is this, am I having some mental health issues right now? Am I depressed? Am I anxious? Whatever. And the time they first saw about it, it's 11 years. Mm. Wow. So 
And, and, you know, regardless of whether that's, I don't know how they define that, but my point is it's probably a long, long time Mm -hmm. and you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes just getting it out, you realize I'm not, Oh, I'm not, this is normal. Mm -hmm. There's other people who have gone through this. It's, it's when you do it alone, you know, that, that you, you believe it's so much easier to believe the lies. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's like you have an experience where it's like kind of that yellow flag moment where you're like, Oh wow, that actually was scary. I need help with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, even in that season, like I didn't come out of the hospital with my like speed dial person. Yeah. But it's like funny, like, um, where we delivered our kids, like you have to watch the video that tells you about shaking baby syndrome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like your new parents, you're, you know, uh, like kind of recovering, whatever, like figuring like, Oh my gosh, we actually have like a living, breathing baby now. And you like watch this video and you have this moment where you're like, Oh my gosh, how, how could anyone ever get to that point? Yeah. And then I remember being home yeah. literally 10 days later with a baby that didn't stop crying because we had no idea what colic was mm. at the time. Mm. Um, and you have that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, I wish this baby would stop crying. Yeah. And you have that moment where you're Scary. like, ooh, that was a yellow flag. Like I didn't know I could feel like that. And that's yeah. the moment to get it out. Yes. That's the, because what we do in that moment is we convince ourselves, I should be able to handle this. Totally. I should be able to deal with this. Yeah. I should that, be able to handle this. That is this. the thing with everything with mental illnesses. I should be able to help. I should be able to help myself. I should pull up my bootstraps. Yeah. I, I should. And there's a shame. Totally. There's an absolute shame attached to asking for but help. But it's got to be the right people too. Yes. Not everybody's worthy of that trust. Mm-hmm. Wow. Not what, everybody's worthy. What makes a person worthy of that trust? Um, a proven track record of safety, mm-hmm. their own willingness to be vulnerable, yeah, things like that. Like if they've never sh- shared anything, struggle, yeah. they, you know, I mean, I that's not a, that's not this. I'm just trying to say that might be one of the filters because in my head I'd be thinking, well, then are they going to judge me for? Sure. That's why we don't do is we're afraid we're going to be judged. We're afraid we're going to look weak. Yeah. I mean, all those kinds of things are what play into our head. But I'd say there's a track record of you're absolutely safe. Kevin was, was at. Mm-hmm. What yeah. you needed to hear most in that moment was you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so by getting it out, he told you the truth. And I actually read a book once and the author basically made the point that even from a, from a faith standpoint, Christianity, Satan accuses us. That's the role. That's what the word means, right? He accuses us. And that is the only thing Satan can do. Satan has no power over a, you know, a follower of Jesus's life but he can accuse. Yeah. Can remind you of your past. Remind. So when you are isolated and when it's all, that's the that is the as soon as you get it out, mm-hmm. the accusations lose their power. Yeah. Because you now are reminded of truth. Wow. So so you getting it out, the accusation in that moment is you should never how could you think this about your kid? How could you feel this way? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be okay. Then you vo- you you bravely say help. You know, whatever. And then now all of a sudden you've got someone who goes, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I love you. And, you know, and now like that's, good. that's healing. That's so, truth. That's how the truth sets you free. And that's forward movement. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise like I could have just stayed stuck there. Yeah. Um, and I, that says really easy, does really hard. And so I definitely don't want to oversell that we move through that right, season right, right. No. 
in a blink. No, of um, course not. But very much like that's forward movement. Uh, my advice to the Kevins, there's a Kevin listening right now, uh, a husband to a wife that is overwhelmed. I think that story of the horse and the greatest thing to say is help applies to both people struggling with mental illness and those trying to care for those struggling with mental mm-hmm. illness. Because if Kevin, if, if this was the not the first time, but the fifth time that you bawled during dinner and the sixth time that you you just laid in bed, I think the Kevins of the world, the people that are supporting those that are struggling mentally, have to also say, help. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I think this is it has reached beyond my pay grade. Yeah. And, and I, I need help to help the one I love. Mm-hmm. And that's true for a son or daughter that is addicted to something or struggling with anxiety. And, and we're going to actually get into that. So what do you say to the mom? Let's say, and I'm saying mom, but it could be a dad too. So... They're saying that I'm worried that my child is struggling with mental illness, but I'm afraid to stigmatize them. And I do not want them to have to, to, to I don't want to have to talk about this stuff with them. That, that word, I don't want to stigmatize. No, I get that. I actually, that's very, I didn't look at, I didn't get a chance to look at your notes before this. Yeah. But that one's real. Yeah. That one's real. I mean, I got two teenagers, so... Yeah. That's a real tension you face about, do I talk to them about some of this stuff that I'm feeling or sensing or in my gut? And then like, but what if they're not? And now I just, did I plant the seed yeah. that they should be thinking about this or whatever? And that's a real tension. I just think as, as, as parents, God has given you an intuition that you should always listen. I really think that you should listen to your gut and your intuition as parents. You, you have something that's unique. I don't know. I mean, it's a God-given thing. And if so I've just always felt like, look, if I feel nudged to talk to them, I'm just going to do it, and I'm going to bring up this topic. And, I, I mean, there's ways of doing it that yeah. – um, so I'm trying to think of, like, an example. Like, if you're – you know, you're afraid you, – you see your kid's mood changing mm-hmm. and um, – or you see a friend's mood changing – um, there's ways of talking about that with you, like the stupidest thing to be like, I think you're depressed. And I think we, like, that's, that's yeah. dumb. Like that's the dumb All way right. to do it. So don't say yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, that's playing couch psychiatry. I mean, all that kind of stuff would just say, but there, you can talk honestly about, Hey, I feel like I've noticed this. Mm-hmm. Am I off? Have you been feeling like? I mean, like just asking questions. questions. Yeah, yeah. questions. Asking questions. Not ac- not accusing, not asserting, not saying. Yes. This is what you have. What I've seen, you know, but more. This is what it feels like. On and the, here's on the, the other, other th- side of you. <clears throat> here's the other thing I've found to be my my <laughs> trick of getting in with my kids is I always I don't always I tend though to start with myself. And use my, I, uh, this always helps me is to go, Hey, um, when I, I remember when I was 13, I just saw, I saw you out at the basketball game or whatever. And I remember when I was 13, there was just one time where I was there and this one kid was doing this thing, whatever. I remember I felt so anxious about how am I coming off? And so like now yeah. I'm talking about anxiety, but I got there with, you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that way? No, yeah. I never felt that. Oh, that's cool. I'm glad because, or maybe I'm not, I'm glad. Like, well, you might one day because mm-hmm. I felt that. Or 
Yeah, I felt that. My point is that for me has been work that that's worked because it's, I'm starting with me yeah. and sometimes with even failures. Like if I'm nervous, I've got, I'm raising young boys. So we live in a culture where they're just a hyper-sexualized culture. And yeah. so that's just always in front of them. So I've got to, as a dad, try to lead them through that. And so instead of saying, oh, like, don't do this or don't look at that, whatever, I've more tried to take it. Like, I remember when I was your age, I remember thinking, oh, um, th- I remember this thing got put in front of me and thinking, is that, am I, can I look at that? But now I'm using my, and I'm just reading, I'm reading my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm watching their face the whole time. Do they, do they drag their eyes? Do they look depressed? Do they, yeah. or not depressed, but do they look um, concerned when I'm talking, whatever? You can read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been a trick for me too. And to, to be honest, I think for, for a parent asking this question, I think there's a happy medium because I think some parents live in the fear. So every conversation is, is a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's some parents that, that are missing the, the cues because they don't want to see them. Yeah, true. Yeah. And, and I think that we have to, to be it takes a lot of energy and, and it takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of vulnerability to, to, to admit that that Hallmark family is nobody's family. Yeah. Nobody yeah. has that family. Yeah. Like I've, oh, I was a student pastor at LCBC for 20 years. Nobody has that family. Mm-hmm. Nobody. So every family has their stuff they need to work through. And the more we can, as a church, create safe places for people to talk like that and families, to, you know, families or couples, you know, to talk about that kind of stuff, the more freedom there is. Because, because again, I've been places before, I've been with other Christians where it felt like I got to, I got to show the Hallmark thing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is when I was younger. Yeah. And no one thrives. Everybody's just walking around faking it at that point. I really think that the church has the responsibility to be the safest place in the world to talk about this kind of stuff. Again, not, I, mean, I already mentioned the, as we started, what, one of the reasons because our story in the scriptures, the story of faith is filled with men and women who are open and honest about this, but it's also filled with men and women who come alongside and help create and remind them of truth. Mm-hmm. We yeah. got to do that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think even just, I think that's why story is so important at our church. Yeah. And, and like, so even um, sharing a little bit about mine, like even as hard as those things were, it sounds weird on the other side of a lot of it. Like, it's also been a gift in some of the relationships I'm a part of because you just get to relate to people on different levels because of the life that you've experienced. Mm. Like you guys know, it's not fun to sit down with someone where you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm going through this hard thing. And the other person's like, really? I've, I've never felt that. I have never (laughs) gone through anything hard. That must be terrible for you. Like that's not, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's how it was meant to be. And so I have, I've gotten to step into richer relationship because of the hard crap that I've walked through. Like, yeah. One of our values here at our church is we live with authenticity. Authenticity is a real high value of ours. So don't fake it, like Mm -hmm. allow space for people to process. And I am shocked. I'm amazed every time I open up about something to someone, how quickly they are then to go, oh my gosh, yes, I struggled with this too. And that might be up front you know, on a weekend, yeah. mm-hmm. but sometimes just some personal conversations, vulnerability and you being authentic unlocks and it frees people 
to finally kind of get it out of their own hearts and their own heads. Yes. And as a matter of fact, that is probably the kryptonite for hidden struggles mm. is daylight. Mm-hmm. And my own anxiety, when I finally decided to go see a therapist, when I finally decided to go get medicine, was not when I was in the lowest moments. It was when I was in my office mm. and another staff person was in there with me. And I started to share just a tiny, like, I mean, we're talking like nothing. I shared nothing because I was a steel trap. I was convinced that I needed to be uh, put together. Mm-hmm. And as he, he started telling me about his journey with anxiety, and, and he got real vulnerable, and he told me everything. Mm. By the end, I had been convinced that, one, I had a problem. Mm. Two, it was way out of my pay grade. And three, I needed help. His vulnerability became my healing. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said about choosing a safe person to be that person. Vulnerability is such a key part of choosing that safe person. And if you do have someone that when you say, I struggle with this, they go, I don't know if I struggle with anything. They're not your safe person. Like, yeah, you're, they're, they're not, they are not your, your, your phone call. And they don't have to, they don't have to have the same struggle. Totally. But they got to know what it means to struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that's everybody. So, so better way of saying that is they've got to be honest enough. Mm Mm-hmm to give voice to that too. Yeah. yeah. One last question. Okay. For, for all of us here at the table is, so there's, there's uh, maybe a person out there that has a spouse that is struggling with mental illness and they grieve the loss of their spouse because the person that they're married to now is very different than the person they were married to before. And, and the dynamics of the marriage have changed and they're just at their wits end. And they, they're just like, I don't even know him anymore. I don't like him anymore. I'm, I'm, what do I do with someone else's mental illness that has become my monster? Mm -hmm. What do you do to that? Oh man. I mean, again, that's real. Yeah. I, I mean, and sorry to put you guys on the spot, but it is... Well, my heart just hurts when you talk about stuff like that because it's real. I've got people flashing through my mind right now. Mm-hmm. The truthfulness of God's word and who Jesus Christ is does not shift even when everyone else around you does or the circumstances, circumstances around you do. I think that's why David and the Psalms run to the Psalms. The mm. Psalms will give voice to how you feel. Cause how many times did David, does David talk about the people around me? It feels like they're even against me. Sometimes it feels like I've lost my friends. It feels like I've lost my husband, my wife. David understood that in the Psalms. And then he says, so God, you are my refuge. You are my wow. strength. You are the rock under which I hide right now run to the arms of the one who will not change. Yeah. Love faithfully the people around you and allow God to meet, open your heart to God meeting the needs that the people closest to you can't meet right now. Yeah. And I think we've already said, and talk to someone totally, about don't, it. Yeah. Don't yeah support. It on your because own. again, support is not, not just those who have mental struggles. Support is also for those 
yeah. whose life, their, their solar system is affected by mental illness. Um, I'd also, having a family that struggles with, with mental illness, I would say one of the other pieces of advice would be say it's a lot like an airplane and you have to put the mask on yourself first. And that's really good. So I would say, like, make sure you're okay, mm. because if you mm. if you bust yourself out, if you if you destroy yourself in in your zeal and love and compassion to try to care for this other person, you will lose yourself, mm. and that's then you great. will be of service to nobody. So you have to put the airline mask on yourself first, and that is with Jesus, and that is with support, and that is with counseling. That's right, counseling for you. Because one of the things that I've struggled with in the past as a pastor, I have, uh, I've been diagnosed with something, which is not like a mental illness, but more uh, something that you can come down with, like a cold, but something called compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. And it is where you give out, you're but empty. don't take in. Yeah, you're depleted. And, and a lot of people struggling with spouses and family members with mental illness, they suddenly develop compassion fatigue, where it's like, I give and give and give, and I got nothing. You're not being selfish taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're honoring God yeah. by taking care of yourself. Absolutely. And but then you get to care for that person. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like then then the byproduct is others also receive a better um, you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you have permission to care for yourself yeah. while you care for them. Yeah, that's great, Jan. So uh, we thank you for tuning in. Uh, Jason, thanks again for being here. Absolutely. Love every time you get to be here on the podcast. Joanna, it's always a pleasure. Uh, I said, Joanna, earlier today, I said, Joanna, what did I say? You're you're, uh, pleasant? What did I say? You said delightful. I said, you're delightful. Mm -hmm. You are delightful. Thanks. Uh, Am I delightful? I'm pleasant. I don't know why. The word came up was curmudgeon I don't know why. That's not who you are, but that's the word that came into my mind. You have the vocabulary of like a 97-year-old. Oh, I know. Keep talking like that and we'll do fisticuffs. Yeah, so uh, love you guys so much. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure, uh, like, as always, we thank you for subscribing. And if there's someone that needs to hear this, you know who they are. Go ahead and share it. All right. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to follow the show, send today's episode to a friend, and leave a review. The Live Changed podcast is produced by LCBC Church. LCBC stands for Lives Changed by Christ. We are one church in multiple locations across Pennsylvania. For more information about LCBC, resources from this episode, and ways to grow in your relationship with Jesus, go to lcbcchurch.com.